This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dumpy. Now, just before we began this podcast... It was announced by the White House that Israel have agreed to a series of four-hour humanitarian pauses. The Israelis have not yet publicly announced their agreement to this, but we believe the White House wouldn't have put this out without it having been agreed. Meanwhile, there are massive explosions and bomb attacks on Gaza City as we speak now, and we're joined from Washington by Niall Stanich. Niall is associate editor of The Hill, a respected Washington newspaper, and also White House columnist for The Hill. Now, thank you very much for joining us. Good to be here. This is a breaking news story, which people will hopefully be aware of by the time they hear this podcast. It's the very minimum, really, is it not, that Biden and his administration could have expected from Israel, who have been resistant to all calls for a ceasefire and to almost everything else, to the extent that the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has had to go back to Tel Aviv a second time and clearly put whatever gun they have to Netanyahu's head. I mean, clearly there is an issue here where the uh, Americans have not in the first place been terribly forceful, I think, in pushing Israel to agree to any of these things. Then there's just the secondary factor where Israel has not in any event uh, proven particularly willing to uh, accommodate U.S. requests or desires such as they are. Now, this uh, idea of the four-hour pauses seems to be... uh, something of a concession, I suppose we can say, from the Israeli government and the Israeli Defence Forces. In saying that, uh, President Biden was asked uh, by reporters whether there was any chance of an actual ceasefire, as distinct from a a, a brief pause. And he said there's no possibility of that. It didn't really expand on those um, remarks. So, you know, the, the big picture here is the Biden administration has been uh, very vigorous in his, in its support of Israel. Uh, I mean, the president has been a big supporter of Israel for decades, but the, his administration has been a particularly vigorous supporter since the horrendous, uh, grotesque Hamas attack yes. of October the 7th. Um, and that support has extended to, uh, I would say, 
almost, if not complete, carte blanche to the Israeli response, which, as we know, uh, has now resulted in the death of more than 10,000 Palestinians. Yes, indeed. And we'll return to this matter and its effect on Biden's opinion poll ratings for one thing and presidential chances for another. However, we should look at last night's Republican debate. There were five people seeking the nomination. Donald Trump has scorned this process, which he won in 2016, and that's where his political career began, really, and it didn't seem at the beginning that he had a hope. But there was a debate last night, and it's down to five now. Trump held a rally not too far from the debate centre, and you wrote a very good piece in The Hill this morning about the winners and losers of last night's debate. And one person comes out well, and that's the former governor and former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. But she comes out very well. Yeah, she was the winner of the debate in my judgment. She is a very skilled debater. She probably won the previous two debates as well. As you say, Trump has not participated in any of them. Um, Haley's uh, um, performances in the debates has certainly helped her rise in the polls to the point where she is on the rise uh, challenging Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida to be the main alternative to Trump. Um, she has not yet uh, quite surpassed DeSantis, but she's rising and he's falling. She will have got another boost, I think, in that regard uh, last night at the debate, not least because one of the lower polling candidates, a businessman by the name of Vivek Ramaswamy, made, um, in my opinion, a very stupid and uh, tasteless attack, not on Haley, but on her daughter. Her daughter is an adult, but Ramaswamy was complaining about the daughter using TikTok while Haley herself uh, worries about the dangers of that because it's Chinese-owned, etc. It seemed like Ramaswamy was just having a gratuitous go at a candidate's daughter. Uh, Nikki Haley shot back, telling him to keep her daughter's name uh, out of his mouth, and that called him scum. And that was the big moment that's getting replayed in all the TV coverage here this morning. Right, and he does appear to be not a very nice chap. Mm. And the other great fascination with this, well, without Trump and non-event, has been the demise of the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Now, DeSantis was believed to be capable of putting up a real fight against Trump for the nomination, and yet things have descended to the point where one of his biggest donors, who's, I think, donated something around $20 million, possibly mm. more, defecting to Trump, and in the debates themselves, he's looked deeply unimpressive. He has. He had sort of faded into the background in uh, past debates. He did a little bit better last night, but not not anything monumental. If he's looking to turn around this decline that he has suffered in the polls, I don't think he will have done enough. Now, he did speak up, and we should say, perhaps, Eamon, to link this to our previous topic, the Republican electorate is very, very pro 
Israel. I mean, I was looking at an opinion poll yes. a few days ago uh, where it asked people, do your, sympathy, do your basic sympathies lie with Israel or the Palestinians? I think 6% of Republicans said the Palestinians. Um, I mentioned that in the context of Governor DeSantis yes. was among those who was the most uh, vigorous or belligerent, some would say, in the level of support that he offered to Israel in that conflict. Yes, and could that explain, do you think, Niall, we know that Joe Biden has, throughout his 40, 50-year political career, been an ardent supporter of Israel. Mm. And that, for sure, is where he is right now. Would he be mindful that he didn't want to be outflanked by the Republicans on this issue anyway, even, as we know, I think you told us, in a state like Michigan, which has a large Islamic vote, that he could lose that, and that is one of the swing states. So this is an interesting point, because you're, you're not the, the first person to ask me what Biden's political calculation is in the backing for Israel. And unusually, I don't necessarily think it is a nakedly political calculation. I think Biden actually believes it. And I think it's quite dangerous politically for him yes. because I don't think that he grasps fully the fact that uh, younger Democrats and more left-wing people are much more sympathetic to the Palestinian cause broadly than, than he is. Uh, obviously, that does, as you say, affect uh, Arab-American voting intentions. And in a state like Michigan, which Biden won by such a narrow margin, that's potentially politically perilous. Uh, I guess what I would say, Eamon, is that there is a whole bigger, broader story here, which is about how generally older, more centrist Democrats like Biden have traditionally identified with Israel and given that strenuous support that we're witnessing from him while there has been a generational shift that you can see in opinion polls, particularly over the last 10 to 20 years of Democratic sympathy shifting much more toward the Palestinians. Well, another curiosity about this is that the Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu is despised by most of his own population, mm. not just for the security weakness that allowed Hamas in to commit the atrocities on October the 7th, but also for bringing into his government far-right, way-out people who'd even make Donald Trump embarrassed well, flat, flat out, flat out racists, really, in some cases. Yes, right? they are. Yeah. And, and they're continuing the settlers on the West Bank mm. to murder Palestinians while they're, you know, picking olives. It's the olive picking season, and these Israeli settlers are taking their land and murdering them on a daily basis. And yet, this is the question, Niall. Does anybody in the Democratic Party or any commentator not see the paradox, should we say, mm. of supporting Zelensky as Putin commits war crimes on the Ukrainian people, while at the same time supporting Netanyahu and Israelis who are already have already killed over 10,000 people, 5,000 of them children, 2,000 of them women, as a reprisal for the deaths of an estimated 1,400 people on October the 7th, not in any way to minimize those deaths. They were shocking and brutal. But mm -hmm. Zelensky also, I understand, 
supports Israel wholeheartedly. So we're getting into sort of curious contradictions here, are we not? We are, I think. And you, you began that question asking whether people adopt that view here or whether that view is heard yes. here. It is heard su- surprisingly little here. I mean, I think any person in Ireland or Western Europe, for that matter, who would be quite surprised at how little that view is heard about the seeming contradiction between, in the case of Ukraine, supporting a smaller country against an immensely powerful uh, neighbour. And in the case of the Palestinians, more or less abandoning them to their fate uh, against you know what is clearly the most advanced uh, military in that region and uh, a nation that gets, after all, even in quote-unquote normal times, about $3 billion of US military aid every year. Yes. That whole argument or thesis is not uh, heard very often here. Um, indeed, before October the 7th, as you're aware, I mean, killings of Palestinians in the West Bank were at sort of historic highs, and yes. that got almost no media attention here. To be fair, I was somewhat surprised on a, on a mainstream broadcaster here a couple of nights ago. Uh, they actually showed a very brutal shooting of a Palestinian in the West Bank by an Israeli settler, while a member of the uh, apparently Israeli army um, looked on, uh, seemingly unconcerned. Um, it, that was a very uh, brutal thing to watch. It's also quite an unusual thing to see on uh, mainstream American television. And so that, I think, um, contributes to the, the, the a, a, a narrowing of the terms of uh, legitimate debate here about uh, Israel's actions and about the United States' support for those actions. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. H-E-L-P. 
Now, there was a very important intervention this week, as we've covered on this podcast, and I hope you'll bring us up to date. Biden's polls are low, mm. very low. Various things are blamed, including the economy. But David Axelrod, who was Obama's main man in mm. terms of his campaigns, and indeed, whilst he was president, he wasn't chief of staff, but he certainly was a senior perhaps the senior advisor. Within the last few days, Axelrod went public, I think it was at the weekend, and suggested mm -hmm. that Joe Biden should consider not running mm -hmm. in his own interests and in the interests of the Democratic Party. It was a significant intervention, was it not, Niall? Axelrod is a player in the Democratic Party. His relationship with Obama, their successful campaigns and all of that, gives him particular status. It does. What does that tell us, do you think, about Biden's situation vis-a-vis -vis next year's presidential election, which is exactly 12 months from today almost? What it shows is the increased nervousness among Democrats of all sort of ideological complexions. Axelrod is not a, a screaming lefty by any stretch of the imagination. He's sort of progressive-ish, uh, very much in the Obama mold himself, which is one of the reasons why they're um, why they're so close. Now, I, the catalyst for those remarks of Axelrod's was the publication of polls from battleground states, six yes. battleground states to be precise, which showed uh, Biden losing to Trump in a hypothetical rematch in five of those six states. Um, obviously, we're a year out from the election, but if those results were to be replicated in reality, that's game over. That would mean that Donald yes. Trump would be the next president of the United States. So when Axelrod talks about it being very late to us, he put it change horses, but that it should be something that should be considered. That, I think, shows the depth of democratic anxiety about all of this. I think there is also a recognition, and, and Axelrod acknowledged this himself, that uh, the the idea of a serious primary challenge to Biden knocking him off is not likely to be successful for all sorts of reasons. Firstly, you're likely to lose. Secondly, if you won, you'd be accused of being disloyal. Yes. Thirdly, you'd likely damage party unity to such an extent that you would lose in the general election anyway. But clearly there are people who would hope that Biden might even at this late stage uh, step aside, though of course then the question would be, in that scenario, who would become the Democratic nominee and would they have a better chance than Biden himself? Yes, and it appears almost certain that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee, but there are a couple of obstacles in his way. Mm -hmm. One is a court case, a criminal case, that has been taken and will be heard in Washington about January 6th and the obstruction of justice. That's a very serious case. The case in New York at the moment where he has actually been found guilty of very, very grave fraud, he was actually, he took the stand yesterday and I, earlier today, he has lost that case effectively and it means if the judge decides that he'll face a fine of 250 million, up to 250 million, and he will also be not allowed to do business in New York, his home city at all, which includes getting rid of Trump Tower and all the things one feels that he identifies himself with, the big tycoon, all of that. But it does appear that the more he gets into trouble with the law, there are five really serious cases against him, four of them to do with 
the behaviour during and after the election and this fraud case, the more visibility he gets out of these cases, the higher his poll numbers go up. Certainly among Republicans, that's almost unquestionably the case. In fact, the failure of his rivals to seriously challenge him in the polls so far in the Republican primary seems to be largely the consequence of Republican voters rallying around him in the middle of all this. In addition to the civil case that you, you mentioned, there are a total of 91 criminal charges in the four criminal cases. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, January the 6th, as well as obstruction of justice, documents at Mar-a-Lago, all the rest of it. None of those have really damaged him with the Republican electorate. Uh, he's the overwhelming favorite to win there. The New York civil case is a complicated one in a sense, because it, it, it's just puzzling to wrap your head around. The judge, as you kind of alluded to, has already found that Trump did commit fraud. And what they're really arguing about now is the severity of that fraud, the, yes. the, the con- consciousness of it, and what the sanctions should be. But your point, I think, is well made that Trump takes his whole identity from this idea of the billionaire, the, the real estate tycoon, the guy who lives in the gold tower in, in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, this obviously would undercut that, especially if the capacity to conduct business were greatly curtailed or even stopped outright. Now, to go back to David Axelrod and Obama, In a piece I think you wrote, and it's a very good piece, you draw attention to the fact that Biden, although he was Obama's vice president, it was a very pragmatic decision by Obama. They weren't soulmates, but Biden brought the political nous because Obama had never really served except one term as a senator and was a sort of a reassuring figure, if you like, for the electorate. They were never close. And Biden's well-known verbosity didn't go down well with Obama. Hence, Axelrod breaking ranks, as it were, and opening up this debate about Biden. And one should say he's going to be 81 next week and looks it, whereas Trump and Bernie Sanders, to take two of his contemporaries, are much more vigorous characters. But Obama did campaign ardently last time, I guess, because of Trump and the threat that he posed to the country. Mm. What I'm leading up to rather clumsily, Niall, is a question about the one person I think everyone feels would beat Trump would be Michelle Obama. Mm. And she is a remarkably charismatic, experienced, fluent. She radiates charisma and all the things you need. Is there any possibility that in a moment of that looks rather bleak as it does, I mean... The world is in a bad enough state without having Donald Trump leading its most powerful nation that Michelle Obama might run. Um, She is probably the most popular Democrat in the country with the perhaps exception of her husband. I mean, she has all the qualities that you mentioned. She is uh, beloved in the black community for for quite obvious reasons, and that's an important constituency in a Democratic primary. But she also has enormous appeal to suburban women, for example, who are a, a key sort of swing voting class. When she released her memoir, she did basically an arena tour of of uh, events that were sold out left, right, and center. Um, 
But unfortunately, from the Democratic perspective, she really has no interest in that. She has been asked about it a number of times. People have floated the possibility of, you know, if the situation were really dire, could she be persuaded for the national interest to do it? And she just doesn't care to do so. She really has no interest in electoral politics. She campaigned very ardently for her husband, having originally been um, reluctant for him to run in the first place. Yes. She's a um, very impressive public speaker and so on and so forth. But the actual business of running as a candidate herself, she has repeatedly said she just wouldn't. That's not how she would like to spend her time. Now, now what's your own take on, on this? We're, we're 12 months out and an awful lot, as we know, can happen in 12 months. But when we look at it from the perspective of today, mm. nothing good appears to, appears to be over the horizon. Ukraine, Russia, it's bad. Mm. The war in the Middle East is desperate. And we will see this weekend, for example, all across Europe, vast demonstrations of people supporting Palestinian people concerned and angry about what many people see as a genocide that's taking place, certainly an ethnic cleansing. We're in terrible shape. What's your own take on Biden's hopes of retaining the White House? A few months ago, I would have said they're 50-50, and I would now say they're less than 50-50, perhaps significantly so. And one reason for that is the age question, which you and I have talked about a number of times, and yes. you're quite right to note that it's not really about the number on his birth certificate. It's about the perception that he may struggle to fully um, execute his duties if elected to a second term. The, num the proportion of the population that believes that in opinion polls is somewhere around 70 or 75%. I just don't know if you're Biden's team what you do about that? I mean, this is yeah. not, uh, you know, a, a lefty saying he should have done more to create a social safety net or centrist saying his tax policy is a bit this way or that way. This is a very large share of the population saying we don't really think he's fit for the job. Now, it could be that faced with a choice between Biden and Trump, enough people just think that Trump is unacceptable for Biden to squeeze through. And as you say, uh, you know, a year is a long time in politics. Things can change a lot. But one thing that I do think is fairly clear is if the election were held today and it was Biden versus Trump, Trump would win. I mean, I, I, I really think there's a, a very little chance of Biden prevailing in a, in a hypothetical election held today. Right. So is that going to change? Maybe. But those poll numbers have been fairly consistent for several months now. Right. Just a final question, Niall. The, what you might call local elections, although they were for governor and important positions last night that took place in the United States, broke favorably for the Democrats. And it seems to be the consensus that abortion was the reason for that and women coming out to vote, even in states like Ohio, which is a very conservative state, I understand. Mm -hmm. The Democrat won. Abortion is a massive issue, isn't it? And, and of, of course, for women particularly, mm -hmm. but it has been flagged as a massive issue and there does appear to be 
evidence from last night that it really, really is. Yeah, there is quite a lot of evidence of that because if you look at both the party results and uh, the election in Ohio, which was a, a ballot measure, a statewide referendum, uh, essentially the the pro-choice side or pro-abortion rights side, whatever label you want to use, won uh, more or less everywhere. In Virginia, for example, which is a sort of slightly Democratic-leaning swing state. The Republicans had hoped to capture the state legislature there. In fact, Democrats won both the state house and, and the state, both chambers of the state legislature. In Kentucky, a guy called Andy Bashir, a Democratic governor of an extremely conservative state, won re-election, and it was ascribed mostly to the abortion issue. And in Ohio, which was a ballot measure, the pro-choice side won there as well. In terms of those uh, referenda that are specifically on abortion rights, there have now been several of those since Roe versus Wade was struck down last year. And the pro-choice side has won every single one of them, yes. including Ohio, but including, again, in, in Kentucky uh, last year, Montana, very conservative places. So there are two things that make abortion very important for, as a political issue. Firstly, the plurality of people are basically pro-choice with certain caveats around yes. that, but also it's an animating force to get people to the polls. And that's why I think you're seeing Democrats yes. do quite well in elections in an overall environment or political climate that is not particularly hospitable to them. And a final point on that, the new speaker of the House of Representatives, Republican Speaker, of course, mm. is an, an election denier. He doesn't believe that Trump lost the last election, but he also has a proposal that would make access to abortion or restrict it nationwide. Mm. At the moment, it's a statewide issue. He wants to extend that and broaden and deepen that, which won't help at all, will it? No, it won't. And of course, Democrats will try to, uh, naturally enough, make that issue very um, visible. Mike Johnson is the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Yes. He's an evangelical Christian. He has in the past said that his wish would be to get the number of abortions in the United States down to zero. Yes. Um, I mean, clearly that is animated by his religious faith, and I don't want to you know, belittle that, but as a political position, it's a very unpopular one, and uh, Democrats will seek to take advantage of it. Okay, now well, we'll see how things go. And we're very grateful, as always, to you for joining us. I understand Niall Stanich is a brilliant journalist, really. His stuff, you should read it if you can. It's brilliantly written. He's a great reporter. And we're very grateful to have him. He's associate editor of The Hill, a very respected newspaper in Washington, because in American media, there's so much partisanship. And this is a paper that really deals with facts and reasonable Opinion. So we're grateful to Niall, of course, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.